0: Alrighty, righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting founder, you know, a founder that uh, has done it a few times uh, and very successfully. So we're going to be talking about rebuilding, scaling, financing, all of the good stuff, even even acquisitions, too. You know, his previous company got acquired, uh, and uh, we have a very inspiring discussion ahead of us. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, B. J. Krishnan. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Alejandro. Glad to be here.
0: So, originally born in India, give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up over there?
1: Well, uh, it was good. Um, uh, my, uh, um, I lived in a few different uh, cities in India uh, growing up. I got my uh, bachelor's uh, degree at IIT Bombay, studying computer science, um, with uh, a specialization in machine learning. So um, I've been in the uh, machine learning uh, area for a long time now, about uh, 20 years, long before it was uh, cool. And uh, uh, a bunch of uh, nice work I did there uh, eventually uh, got me accepted into Stanford, and that's when my U.S. journey began.
0: Well, long, 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 long before, eh? because AI has been, you know, now everyone is talking about AI. All the founders are saying that their companies have AI, you know, all of that stuff, but what, what attracted you into the world of artificial intelligence and machine learning to begin with? What got you excited about it? Yeah, so I,
1: I, I really enjoyed a lot of things to do with uh, um, uh, probability, statistics, mathematical modeling, and concepts of this sort. And uh, it was uh, um, uh, rather fun to um, uh, see a lot of those ideas uh, being uh, uh, put to a lot of uh, practical use to, uh, I mean, at that, that time, machine learning couldn't quite solve the set of uh, problems it could solve today, but there were still some very, very uh, um, early signs of uh, cool things it could do, like text uh, um, categorization, some basic forms of NLP, some part of uh, speech uh, uh, tagging, um, uh, classifying uh, different data sets, things like uh, that, uh, regression, and uh, so on. And it was very exciting to um, to, uh, sort of, uh, um, I guess, Uh, uh, it it, it satisfied uh, uh, both maybe some of my uh, nerdy mathematical side and also uh, the pragmatic side. Like I didn't want to become a pure mathematician or anything uh, like that. Uh, And while it also had some nice depth uh, to it, that was more or less it in the uh, early days.
0: So you did the the degree in Bombay uh, first, and then eventually you came here for grad school at Stanford. So... What got you, you know, to really be excited about the idea of coming to the U.S., you know, to pursue the American dream?
1: Yeah, I mean, at that point, uh, I I was very excited about the state of, uh, um, you know, uh, about uh, machine learning. I had uh, done a bunch of good research, uh, uh, got some nice uh, papers accepted in conferences and journals, which were uh, well-cited. And uh, my plan at that point was to uh, go to my uh, PhD in uh, in an application of uh, machine learning, very likely to do with text or search or uh, uh, NLP. That was my original uh, intent when I uh, came here. And of course, uh, I applied to a, a bunch of uh, uh, good uh, universities with strong PhD programs. Um, I was fortunate to get accepted into Stanford. So that, that's where I uh, came.
0: Was it like a big culture shock, you know, seeing all the innovation, all the... All the all the good stuff, you know, happening around you.
1: I I would not call it a culture uh, a shock. Yes, uh, they, I mean, there's no doubt uh, that uh, good uh, grad schools like the um, uh, like Stanford end up having a very uh, high density of uh, the uh, smartest uh, researchers in the world. A lot of the world renowned faculty members whose. Uh, Textbooks that, that the author are uh, used in uh, computer science classes all over the world, and so on. So uh, yes, uh, it, um, uh, yeah, uh, it, uh, it was yeah, uh, it was it was great. I loved it.
0: So then, so then, eventually, you graduate from Stanford and you find yourself in Yahoo, and there in Yahoo, you were part of the AI team, and this was the ultimate, uh, most immediate step to you becoming a founder. So what were the sequence of events that needed to happen? Because look, I know that in India there is tremendous pressure for getting incredible degrees, you know, either becoming an engineer or a doctor. So you definitely were able to check the box on the engineering side. And then also you come to the U.S. and you join a very, you know, credible and and, and reputable company. So, you know, in the eyes of anyone there back in India, they would have thought that you were going absolutely nuts for giving your notice and going into the uh, unknown with launching your first business. So what were those events that needed to unfold for you to feel at peace with the idea of, you know, taking charge of your own destiny.
1: Yeah, it's an it's an interesting question. You're you're definitely right about a lot of the things you said here. My I mean, my immediate family uh, I think uh, uh, was uh, was very uh, supportive, but uh, you're you're definitely right about uh, the reaction of a lot of uh, the others. I feel like uh, two things. One is I don't think I have ever been highly subject to social influences i almost get an internal kick out of uh, cases where i feel like i disagree with uh, with a big chunk of the world or uh, uh, with someone else and i feel i'm right in my view or, or i have uh, given it enough thought or uh, something else so i don't think i've been as much su- subject to uh, social pressure uh, as uh, uh, many others and second i think this was uh um yeah, I think we, we were in the uh, right uh, environment, like if I had gone to some other grad school, maybe uh, if, uh, I feel like even if I had gone to MIT, I don't think I would have quite got the kind of exposure, uh, at least in this uh, short uh, time frame, uh, to understand what it takes to uh, translate uh, um, good technology and good ideas into um, viable uh, businesses. I think yeah but I I think both my uh, co-founder and I were very um, very excited about this and uh, yeah I, <laughs> uh, I I I guess at that at that point uh, they were all uh, uh, they were also investors uh, willing to fund us uh, and it honestly looked like a no brainer I guess my attitude was um, what's the worst that can happen uh, uh, maybe 2 years later I'm, I'm back at the same job but uh, <laughs> that's not a bad place to be
0: so, so you went at it with personalized recommendations. Now, this company, uh, you guys pivoted and rebranded, you know, a bunch of times. What, what, what was pushing that and, and how hard was every single time you guys pivoted and rebranded the, 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 the company?
1: I mean, p- pivots are certainly expensive, right? Like, I, I think at first, as uh, first time entrepreneurs, uh, clearly we didn't know everything uh, we uh, we happened to uh, learn uh, some years later. Yeah, we did personalize, uh, we started off doing personalized search, then we did personalized content uh, recommendations uh, um, that was largely uh, consumer facing. And then eventually we uh, went on to focus on this in a B2B context. And that is when we got acquired. Yeah, I mean pivots are certainly not uh, um, uh, this uh, certainly I mean uh, certainly not uh, ideal if it's possible to properly de-risk things, uh, have a five-year view of uh, where the world is going, uh, etc., and uh, if it's possible to um, uh, um, uh, to march and execute uh, without having uh, too many twists and turns, that's that's always more desirable. Uh, since uh, um, uh, the the fact is when uh, when you are forced to pivot you do end up uh, destroying some value in the
0: process. Well, the good news is that uh, in the process, you guys ended up building something of value, you know, that it was perceived of value to to others. And in fact, the company ended up getting acquired uh, and it was reported for 30 million bucks or so. But how was that experience? Because I'm sure that obviously first company, first exit, you know, pretty amazing uh but 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 also gaining access to having that visibility into the full cycle of a company you know like going from start to finish so make us insiders how was how was like going through that acquisition process
1: yeah I've, i mean i would say the whole company right like it reminds me of something i think i heard peter thiel say that uh, if uh, if you just run a company and failed, you may not learn much about it because there's probably a lot more ways to fail uh, than the specific way you fail. If, uh, uh, you know, somehow you're uh, at the perfectly uh, right place and uh, right time and uh, you have too much of a smashing success, uh, uh, there there may be a lot of uh, key things you do not learn along the way as well. But if you have a fairly difficult time, somewhat bumpy ride, but you manage to make it to the other side, you you probably uh, learn a great deal. I think that is, Probably how I would characterize uh, my experience uh, uh, running our previous uh, startup until the point of acquisition. I think um, there were a lot of key things um, like, for example, focus on markets first above all else and uh, um, so on uh, that uh, the uh, and reasons of the world uh, uh, were uh, used to saying. But having actually run a company, say, uh, um, figured out what works, what, uh, what doesn't work, um, what creates value. Looking at the experiences of fellow founders around me, etc., uh, I think uh, uh, did um, sort of uh, help me uh, learn at a much deeper level what uh, this whole thing was uh, about. The kind that would have been difficult to learn entirely from books or from, uh, uh, you know, this this kind of received
0: knowledge. So once the company got acquired, uh, then you guys say, uh, you know, obviously after that integration, you guys took some time off. And then you thought it was a good idea to perhaps take a look at, at how were things like on the other side of the table. and you went to Foundation Capital as an entrepreneur in residence, and, and that was the immediate step to touring. But what, why did you guys think it was a good idea to um, experience the VC side of things, and what were you guys doing there?
1: Well, we, we basically hung around a, a little bit there, uh, I think, in our specific uh, EAR role. We didn't have very much by way of uh, classic uh, uh, venture firm responsibilities or any of uh, that. Uh, We we mostly hung around uh, um, uh, the the foundation capital folks. uh, uh, Ashu and his uh, colleagues were definitely very helpful to us as we were brainstorming uh, different uh, ideas and everything. So, uh, yeah, at at that point, really, our comparison was all right. We are uh, doing this. uh, We are figuring out what to do next in cafes or at home, or we are doing this in the offices of Foundation Capital. And Foundation was actually quite helpful to us. They made a lot of nice connections as we were brainstorming different ideas. They were like, okay, you should probably speak with these five people. I'll make these intros. And all of which was very helpful.
0: So how was that like? Now, obviously, the second time at it, you know, the first time you did so many pivots and rebrands and, you know, to make sure that you got it right on the product market fit. But now you had a good understanding on 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 when and how you know to test and validate whether or not an idea has legs. So, how did you guys go about validating the concept, the idea, and incubating it for what would end up becoming Turing?
1: Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, uh, so uh, I guess by far our uh, most important learning uh, with uh, um, uh, having run up a prior startup was that market factors m- matter above all else. If you're playing in the ra- right, uh, quote-unquote, A-plus market, and I'll define A-plus market in a moment, uh, it may be the case that uh, even when you have a somewhat uh, um, crude uh, MVP, customers love it and uh, they are all over it just because it solves a very, very important pain point for them that they have a lot of money to uh, to spend to, to make that pain point go away. I mean, you, you, uh, you ideally want to be... Um, uh, uh, Ideally, an A-plus market is one where uh, uh, your uh, customers have a very, very severe pain point and have a lot of money to pay to make that uh, specific pain point uh, go away. So, the, uh, yeah, by far, the, I think the most important thing we learned was that this is uh, something uh, that you want to uh, de-risk. And uh, we spent a lot of... Uh, um, and uh, one of the key things we had also learned is uh, that, um, again, from our previous company is that once you raise capital and uh, everything, it's a sprint. Like, uh, everybody's uh, measuring you Uh, based on how fast you're running. Uh, The reason uh, startups get valued at a lot of uh, multiples that may seem crazy to some people is that the growth rates are very, very high. And everyone is doing the calculation. Hey, this is, uh, you know, uh, growing three or four rates every year. Uh, If I get in today, even if I pay a crazy multiple, three years later, I'll look like a genius given the trajectory this is on. And that is the, the sort of calculation everybody is doing. So the point is that Once you start a company, you want to be in a mode where you're sprinting uh, uh, as hard as you can. And it becomes difficult to engage in this fundamental first principle thinking regarding, should I be in this market at all? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Ideally, you want to try and de-risk that as much as possible. So in our case, I think spending a lot of time talking with different clients, understanding the ins and outs of various businesses, etc., were very helpful. At some point, uh, we uh, I got curious about the recruiting business. I learned a great deal about the, the ins and outs of, of a lot of uh, recruiting businesses of varying varying sizes. I learned a great deal about uh, uh, IT services uh, uh, business of varying sizes. Also, the unit economics, what the inputs and outputs were. I had friends that were running it who basically told me everything about it. Uh, um, uh, they were perfectly comfortable sharing relatively more uh, confidential information as well. Uh, and we uh, talked with execs at large companies, etc. And uh, the, we, we talked with prospective clients, we talked with various others. Uh, yeah, we, we must have at least had, I, I would say, 100 plus conversations with various uh, uh, valuable people during those uh, few months, taken notes, um, uh, developed our thesis better, etc. Uh, before we felt like uh, um, this is a, one company uh, that that could become really uh, big. It could become a unicorn. It could even become the, the next Google.
0: Hey, guys. So pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So. That gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieberson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a Series A stage or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid-cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. Well let's talk about that moment. When was that moment where you were like, "This is it?"
1: Yeah, I would say a few months into it, uh, right? Uh, as we were uh, going deeper and deeper into this, we, we were evaluating some other uh, other ideas uh, as well when it comes to applications of AI and uh, machine learning. the uh, I think the two uh, the uh, two key things that swung it uh, in favor of uh, Turing, perhaps not entirely independent of each other were that uh number one there was a very very strong founder market fit here so there were other ideas we uh, we explored and i uh, having uh, talked with customers and everything i think we developed a fairly good understanding of them like for example one of the things we explored was uh, um, a, a, a tool uh, an ai for sales uh, tool and we were we considered a few different combinations uh, there but what we realized was that when it came to this particular problem, we there was just a much much uh, stronger founder market fit. Like in our prior startup, we had worked with a lot of talented software developers in uh, different parts of the world. Like we had worked with uh, talented software developers in uh, Russia, Poland, um, Serbia, China, Romania, the Middle East, uh, various uh, folks like this. We we had had some of these problems uh, firsthand in our prior uh, uh, company. So while we had a Silicon Valley team, they were also supplemented by this distributed team of really talented software developers and contrary to what everybody said we could make that collaboration work and uh, uh, ultimately the fact that we were uh, getting this A plus talent from different parts of the world did make it uh, 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 did make the uh, ultimate combination very deadly. I feel like this checked off a lot of valuable boxes like you might have heard of uh, if you've read Peter Thiel's book Zero to One he uses this uh, phrase called secrets and by secrets what he means is what is some profound truth that you understand as a founder uh, that uh, very few people understand, but which could be the basis for a multi-billion dollar business. I think our secret was that we really, really understood the state of uh, uh, remote talent in in, uh, different parts of the world. We had uh, a strong intuition regarding what quality of talent uh, existed, uh, um, at what price, how they could be sourced, how they could be vetted, how you could make the remote collaboration itself function. And I think We strongly believed at that point that given the uh, challenges everybody had with uh, local hiring in the U.S., this was the only way to solve the problem. Like, this was our very counter... um, I mean, maybe uh, at the moment it doesn't look uh, all that uh, novel, but at that point, it uh, it was not a thesis uh, that uh, most people uh, believed. They were... uh, uh, a, a lot of venture capitalists who said, "No, this can uh, never work." I feel everybody should sit in the same office. That's the only way work can get done, and everything. And uh, a lot of them passed on us. To be fair, in the in the early days, but uh, the point is, this was the one uh, important uh, uh, thing uh, we, uh, we 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 strongly felt like we understand this a lot better than most most other people in the world. Though uh, we did not predict a pandemic or anything, but we did predict that continuing talent shortages and continuing pressures around uh, that will force companies to go down this route. And the companies who become early adopters here will start gaining a competitive advantage. The others will have to follow suit to not be left behind. And uh, we were going to ride that uh, wave.
0: So I guess for the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model of Turing? How are you guys making money?
1: I mean, we are a two-sided platform, right? So on one hand, uh, software developers uh, from countries around the world can sign up, they can uh, take our uh, programming tests our tests in various uh, tech stacks uh, and uh, also uh, uh, our skills of uh, our soft skills and leadership skills that helps us build a detailed uh, profile of them. And the value proposition to them is if you're a really talented uh, developer, live anywhere you like in the world and still be plugged into the very best uh, uh, job opportunities in the United States and in the uh, world at large. Now, because we have the, 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 now this value proposition turns out to be very, very appealing in a lot of countries around the world, particularly developing countries. The, uh, our uh, value proposition to clients is uh, um, uh, if, uh, uh, that we can help you with very, very high uh, quality by cost ratios, uh, um, either in the context of uh, remote hiring or uh, if, if you wish to have a uh, fully managed uh, software projects, uh, run for you. So we we do both of these at uh, Turing. And our value proposition is that uh, because we are drawing from this global talent pool, we are subjecting everyone to uh, rigorous vetting, you can have a superstar team uh, comprising the top 1% of the world's uh, software developers in any of these capacities, either if you wish to manage them directly with remote hiring or in a fully managed software project. So at the end of the day, you're going to get uh, very high quality work uh, at uh, very reasonable costs.
0: So, so I guess say uh, also, how much capital have you guys raised to date?
1: Uh, we've, uh, yeah, we've. Uh, I mean, we've raised uh, uh, something like uh, I think 140, 150 million in funding in uh, total.
0: And I understand that the uh, the last valuation on that was four billion. That was reco- uh, reported by Forbes, I believe it was. You know, amongst the others, which is really remarkable. I guess uh, how how was also the the journey of going through all these different rounds and. And getting those investors involved, because this was not your first rodeo. So you knew how to go about corporate governance and how to get the right people, you know, when it comes to the structure of the business.
1: Right, right. I, I think the most important thing by far is, uh, um, uh, well, the, the number one thing, uh, as I already mentioned to you, is try to make sure uh, you, uh, it's a business where you're playing in an A-plus market. But if you if you actually have that out of the way, then the the next thing is cash in on that A-plus market. and. Uh, try and get the most uh, rapid uh, growth uh, possible because um, growth ends up attracting uh, capital at high valuations, and uh, smart in uh, deployment of that uh, capital can get you even faster growth, and uh, uh, in turn attract uh, more uh, good capital at uh, higher valuations. So, um, uh, capital can be a very good, nice uh, sort of uh, multiplier on gr- on uh, growth rates, and that's a, w- a nice virtuous uh, you know virtuous uh, um, cycle to be. Uh, riding when possible so i would say this is by far the most important thing yes there are uh, um there are certainly uh, a lot of the nitty-gritties when it comes to uh the uh the compliance and the legalese and everything but uh, but honestly i think that is uh, the less important than this portion yeah you, know, you want to make sure you're carefully managing this uh, <laughs> uh this uh, capital uh put in service of uh, growth growth in turn uh, uh going on to uh, raise more capital and uh, Ideally, if you are doing this in an efficient business with excellent unit economics, that uh, ra- you know, rather than a fairly shaky business that is uh, just uh, sort of uh, riding on uh, cheap uh, capital. Uh, um, yeah, uh, capital can be a great multiplier.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Now, for you guys, see with capital comes scale. So, as you're thinking about scale and looking back, what would you say was uh, the most challenging? you know, thing that you encounter, you know, when scaling up the operations, you know, perhaps uh, globally and, and how did you go about overcoming such challenge?
1: Yeah. So I think a lot of the, uh, when you're often a lot of the attractive opportunities in the world when come, uh, come when you try to do something uh, novel that uh, uh, because if if you're doing the exact same thing as everybody else you probably don't have much of an uh, alpha uh, to begin with so to speak in uh, in finance speak uh, that is and uh, if you're doing something novel all it, 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 it's almost by definition uh, the it is uh, it is hard to hire for that kind of a role it uh, almost uh, nobody has done a lot of the key things that the uh, role demands there needs to be a very high degree of first principle thinking and this is always uh, challenging right like if you look at uh, the uh, if you look at what most jobs are ab- ab- about um, uh, in uh, uh, in the world uh, they are very much at this large corporation that has this well oiled machine and you know you uh, uh, you learn how to uh, pu- pull some s- specific levers in that uh, in, the, in as a sort of a cog in the wheel now if 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 you're a, a startup that is trying to do something novel that uh, wishes to achieve high growth rates maintain high growth rates there's a lot of this needed this certainly creates some challenges one more challenge also which is maybe very closely related to what i uh, just mentioned is in the fact that a fair amount of constant innovation is needed it is not like you're overturning your business uh, inside out but a lot of uh, things uh, things in terms of novelty of approaches etc like uh, like a certain type of innovation might give you two or four quarters of growth. But at every stage of uh, growth, you need to think uh, uh, um, uh, long and hard about what is going to get you the next stage of growth. It acqu- again requires this high degree of uh, uh, first principle uh, thinking, novelty, uh, innovation, and all that, which is uh, which is never easy. And of course, in a business like Turing, there's a lot of other complexity too. We are not a pure tech business. There's operations, there's understanding of various uh, countries, there's understanding of a lot of things. But it is precisely... That kind of complexity that makes it an attractive opportunity in the first place. If it were very easy, there would probably be a lot of businesses that do this well already.
0: So obviously, you know, like with the with the growth and, and scale, you know, obviously that's 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 what people would typically do. They raise money and they grow like crazy. Now, in your guys' case, I know that capital efficiency has has been a really big deal. So I guess how has that approach, you know, perhaps um, you know, limited or impacted? You know uh, the the way that you guys have gone about growth.
1: I I would not say it has limited uh, things in any uh, specific way, right? Like there is uh, two ways to uh, think about uh, um, this, right? Uh, think about uh, capital uh, uh, efficiency itself, right? Like there is one type of uh, uh, capital, uh, um, uh, um, uh, one type of instance where you are explicitly sort of uh, um, uh, being capital efficient and dialing back on growth itself but uh, but you may get capital efficiency simply because uh, your fundamental business is sound the unit eco- economics are extremely good and uh, co- consequently there, there is a certain natural kind of capital efficiency where uh, which does not really come at the expense of growth i would very much put uh, turing's business in that particular category like in contrast right like maybe let me tell you what is the other type of business again a lot of good businesses have been built like that but i think we are playing a much uh, in a, yeah uh, like for example, let's say you have the ride-sharing apps, etc., Right? Uh, these are these are businesses that are very, very capital-intensive. Uh, you are uh, constantly kind of playing chicken with your competitors, trying to drive them off the road and uh, things of that sort. That is not this game at all. Like in uh, the, the here, I think the fundamental unit economics are so good that they, uh, there's no question of uh, playing any chicken. You could grow at a certain uh, rate uh, uh, without injection of a lot of capital. You could grow at a a, a lot uh, faster uh, rate with the injection of uh, capital so uh, th- this again i would i would say comes down to the uh, you know um, what i just uh, talked about earlier when it comes to a plus markets and secrets so if you are playing in this a plus market you are playing in uh, 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 there is something very very novel you understand about a market and its unit economics and uh, 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 everything which means uh, uh, the uh, uh, there are Fewer people may be executing on this as well as uh, um, as uh, possible. There might exist uh, good opportunities for businesses that are just inherently have excellent unit economics.
0: Now, now for this, uh, let me ask you this: um, You know, obviously, with raising money, um, bringing on investors, bringing on customers, bringing on employees, vision is a really big one. So, if you were to go to sleep tonight, Vijay, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Turing is fully realized. What does that world look like?
1: Well, uh, in that um, vision of uh, Turing, uh, uh, I guess they would uh, literally be, uh, if, if that is fully realized, we would probably be uh, as big as uh, Google or uh, Microsoft. Uh, they uh, Virtually every, this thing, um, 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 uh, virtually every, uh, um, uh, I mean, t- uh, uh, talent, uh, most hiring, most team formation, most project execution would happen. Uh, this thing uh, happen via Turing almost the same way. Uh, people go to uh, AWS or GCP or uh, Azure for uh, cloud compute. Uh, people would be doing the exact same thing when it comes to uh, talent, all all the way around the world. It would probably be a world where almost every team is remote distributed. Where There's no uh, strong preference for geographic proximity. You just say that I'll uh, let me pull the best 20 people uh, for this job wherever they are in the world. And that's how every team functions by default. And uh, the uh, uh, economic activity uh, itself is uh, uh, nowhere as much uh, uh, constrained by um, uh, this thing, um, you you know, by borders and physical proximity as it is uh, today.
0: So uh, let me take you now back in time. I'm going to put you into a time machine, BJ. You know, we were talking about the future. We're going to talk about the past, but doing Mm -hmm. so with a lens of reflection. Let's say I put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time to 2008. You know, it's that moment where you're starting to think about a world where you could become an entrepreneur, a world where you could bring a solution to a problem that you were seeing. But let's say, you know, that's the moment where you know maybe you just gave your notice at Yahoo. You know, it's time for you to It's scary. You know what? uh, You don't know Uh, what you don't know, obviously, and you don't know what's in front of you, but you're now leaving the headquarters there, you know, the office where you were working out of Yahoo. And right there, coming out of that building, you know, you're right there, right now, you know, with that younger self. And you're able to stop on the tracks, that younger VJ. And you're able to have a sit down with that younger VJ. And you're able to give one piece of advice to that younger self. What would that be? And why, you know, when it comes to launching a business
1: oh it it, it would by far be uh, a market above all else uh, the uh, um, uh, i think it was anderson uh, that that said that in an a plus market even a b grade team with b grade technology could do very well of course uh, that's not to say that uh, not to take anything away from a plus teams and technology but the uh, um, the fact that the market is a lot more important while the uh, um, uh, while an A plus team with A plus technology and a B grade market is probably going to fail or probably going to really struggle uh, to get uh, get to some kind of an exit. So my number one uh, m- uh, message here would uh, really be uh, focusing on the market above all else, particularly focusing on unintuitive market insights that com- uh, that uh, combine some mix of uh, a mix of um, domain knowledge and skill and everything. So, uh, certainly, when when starting my first company, and as is the case with a lot of uh, uh, people without a lot of uh, um, industry experience, uh, we we tended to uh, sort of uh, uh, focus more on problems that we considered cool and interesting from a research perspective. Uh, but uh, we um, at, at that time, for example, I don't think we even gave a lot of uh, thought to, hey, uh, if you wish to do personalized search, is this best done as B2B or is this best done as B2C? If it's uh, B2B, what are we going to charge? Who are we going to sell to? I don't think that, that thought crossed our mind uh, uh, as much at all. Uh, um, I think it it is factors like those that are everything when it comes to um, whether you can build a giant uh, uh, business or not. And we one thing we know, right, from um, how investors think about these things, that if a company doesn't have any shot at being a unicorn, it's probably not going to even attract a series A because of the inherently risky nature of investing. Um, the the way venture capitalists uh, think about investing is they, they ask themselves something like, is there at least a 5 or 10% chance something is going to become a unicorn? If, uh, if so, it might be worth investing in. If it has no chance, then uh, it's probably not something you even want to touch. Uh, uh, yeah at that time maybe one of the things again which people had sort of told me but i don't think i had fully maybe internalized is that there's no such thing as uh, slow and steady in the in the technology game i mean technology changes so fast if you're not growing rapidly it's very very likely you will become obsolete in a couple of uh, years so yeah market first and uh speed above all else speed and growth rate
0: above all else so, Vijay, for the people that are inspired, that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: They can connect with me on LinkedIn or they can email me at You
0: uh, say enough. Well, Vijay, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Very nice speaking with you, Alejandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com